Okay, I am out walking on a night when the snow is pretty soft. Um, it, you won't hear it, I don't think. It has a it has a soggy um, extruding. I wouldn't call it a crunch, but it is. Uh, it pushes together when you walk through it, and then it the stick slick stick slip kind of crunch. Because um, we had a, a, a good snow today. I don't know. I would say four inches, maybe more. Um, and the temperature warmed up, so we're hovering right at freezing. Um, some rain coming down occasionally and uh, what a beautiful night to go for a walk the, the moon is hidden by the clouds but the clouds are light enough so you can see quite a bit no moon shadow though and uh, I'm walking alone um, so I'm actually not going to finish the segment I'm on, I'm going to jump to a different segment because um, my wife got to start that segment walking along and I kind of like her to be along when I finish it. So I'm going to talk about an idea. Oh, well, when I plan to talk about this, I uh, intended to talk about it before I really drew some conclusions about it because one of the things that's, that matters to me is I want I want to tell you how I think more than I want to tell you what I think. Um, telling you what I think is for the purposes of considering how I think and uh, deciding whether that may be how you want to think. Um, I think it hints of constructionism, which I'm just learning about, um, which is a, the idea that it's more important than, than the facts that you know is how you know facts, the process of knowing because that updates and, and it, you're forced into to valuing that because there have been in history and there may be in your life um, revolutions in your thinking. And those revolutions occur and suddenly everything you thought you knew no longer is... It seems like a fact, and yet how you came to know them might still be valid or might not. But it's how how you came to know knowledge, how you came to acquire knowledge that then would be more important. Um, so, you know, if I could, 
if I could distill everything I've said into some theology, it wouldn't be that useful um, unless I got everything perfectly right. But if you learned how I think about things and why I tend to think things that, that maybe not a lot of other people um, have thought or are thinking right now, um, then you might become somebody who could discover. And, and that might be a more valuable mode of being than somebody who can learn. So, that was the plan. I was going to talk about the idea before I thought about it, but then I couldn't help myself but thinking about it. And uh, so, if I sound confident um, and I'm starting to, starting to fall in love with my conclusions, it's because I had the idea of making this podcast this morning, and then I had all day driving the bus to think about the things. So let me let me think about some symbols with you, and and it's hopefully it's still fresh enough that that you you can enjoy the thoughts, and you can enjoy. You could discover little bits of maybe how those thoughts emerged. So, the, so the, when you're thinking about symbols, um, symbols come into stories. So, so what is the symbol? Well, if the symbol is just a one-for-one, um, a one-for-one comparison, then, then. It's a symbol that we call language. All right, so by what we mean by cat is pretty much always the same. So, so then, then that we don't really think of that as as a symbol, although it it, it is. But it's it's language. Language is that symbol. But when you create a narrative, and that's what I love storytelling. And I particularly love the parables. And in the parables, there, there's things are used as symbols of things. And there are people who believe, and I am definitely one of them, that sometimes talking about put, putting this symbol into a... a an environment into the narrative um, reveals more than you could reveal by stating tenets of theology. And so Jesus did that. He had he had stories where there were things that were symbolic, and uh, that was how he chose to teach. Now the reasons to teach that way. Um, are, I suppose, that it's more engaging. People seem to like to listen to them. And normally, people would say the problem with using symbols in teaching, using parables, is that you aren't as clear. Although Jesus saw that not as a negative, but as a positive, and I think I do too. Um, 
and, and not just because I think he did, but because I have observed, I like it when people who aren't really wanting to know listen to my story and say, well, <laughs> you know, that wild away, uh, uh, 45 minutes of my, my jail term, for instance, and I enjoyed it. It's, it's like, it's like it didn't mean that much to them, which is ideal because they weren't hungry for the meaning. Meanwhile, somebody else who is hungry for the meaning will dig into it deeply. And I think Christ gave a sense that that was something he valued, that, that if they didn't get it, that was fine. But if they wanted to, there was something deeper there. Now, why would that be seen as a benefit? Well, I, I have a hypothesis about that. And that is, I think that if you receive um, instructions about an optimized life and don't intend to follow them, they don't just sit idle. I think you actually grow callous to them. It, it would be a little bit like being inoculated. Um, or or inoculated in, in, in a dangerous way. So let's take what's happening with penicillin. Somebody takes penicillin and they don't... They aren't committed to taking it. They don't take the full, the, the full prescription. They take it for a little while, and it kills 99.9% of the bad bacteria. But that 1.01% one per, one no, is the, happens to be the one... Um, organism that is resistant to the penicillin. And so then when it propagates, the new species is a, is a resistant species. And I think that happens with truth. So if you tell people truth and you lay it out as in, in, in these simple tenets of, of profound theology... Um, and people read it and say, okay, yeah, I believe that, but they don't actually apply it to their life. I think it tends to weed out the easy problems in their life and leave only the really complex ones, which I believe the truth would answer, but the unapplied truth won't do anything. And so the truth that needs to be applied in the harder corners of their life doesn't get applied, leaving only those more challenging applications as the norm. Some, some version of that. So I think that Christ said, I, I like it that only those who are seeking find. Um, and, and I know that I, I like that when I, when I tell my, my parables. People say, you know, I don't really get it. And I'm like, that's that's fine. I hope it was, you know, somewhat enjoyable to listen to a guy tell a story. It was a story about a tractor. All right. <laughs>
But for somebody else who is who is hungry, I have so many times had them come to me and and sort of have this discovery, this, hey, did you realize that the story was kind of about this example? And, and it's kind of like what's been happening between, um, you know, my wife and I. And, and I will not say I told you so, I, but I will smile to myself and encourage them. Yeah, yeah, that, that's kind of why I told it. And so only those who are seeking find only those who are knocking have a door open to them. Um, maybe is is what Christ is saying. Okay, so that's talking about using symbology and narratives to convey truth. Now, it may also be that the, the truths that you want to convey defy reduction into simple words. And... and but even if you could, even if you could take the time to perfectly elucidate these truths in tenets of theology or philosophy or whatever, it, it is, in my estimation, it is, it is better that they are contained in narratives. Okay, so that's symbol, symbols and narratives. Now, here is one of the questions that emerges from that is do you have to keep a symbol within its narrative? Or is there some... It would seem like you could have a problem if you pulled the symbology out of one story and stuck it into a different story. So, I'll give you an example. And you tell me whether it's a misapplication. I, I, I know many people would tell me that. Although I, I, I think it's possible that it's a revelation. I hope you can hear the, the sound of the wind. Um, the whistling of the wind is in the Norways. Um, and, and the, each of the each of the trees has sort of a different whistle. My favorite is the white pine, but I don't think I'm going to cross under a white pine. Um, but it is a a blustery night. So anyway, there's a story about Jesus. Asking Peter, hey, hey, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. Now, it's a, it's a very impetuous statement. It is a heretical statement um, in, in that day. And, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing you might whisper, but, but the kind of thing that nobody would just say outright. And even the other disciples are, are reluctant to. They... They say, well, you know, there's a lot of opinions on that. Some people say it's, it's, you know, Elijah or one of the prophets. You know, that's how you would answer the question. It's like, well, you know, there's, there's, you'd put your opinion in somebody else's voice and, and distance yourself from it. Because to come out and say it would be 
very radical. But Peter doesn't mind that. Peter goes ahead and says, yeah, I'll be radical. I say that you are the anointed, the Christ, the anointed one, the one sent from God. And you're, you're the Messiah who we've been waiting for. I mean, he, 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 makes it, he makes it abundantly clear with this impetuous, confident statement. And Jesus said, you are Peter. And then he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And so there's one major school of thought that says, okay, Jesus says, says, you are Peter, that's your name, and you are the rock. And upon your rock, I am going to build this church. And so the, the Catholic Church points to Peter as the founder, as, as the structure of the Catholic Church, um, stemming from him. And um, there, there certainly seems to be some ability to, to take that and say, okay, the, the symbology is that Peter is the rock. There's, there's some problems with it, and I don't know how, much, how many of these problems are honest, whether these problems were discovered because people were against the Catholic Church or whether they had these problems even when it said it. But, but there is a problem, and I would, I would agree, and that is that the word for Peter... And the word for rock are, are, are two different words. One is the word for a big, massive, you know, a, 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 a rock. And, and there's re- references in various places in the scripture to, to this rock. Boses and Sena were, uh, were rocks. Um, in the story, my favorite story, the story of of jo- uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer. I mean, this is like rock climbing rocks. And so the it, it, it could be interpreted as Jesus saying, Peter, you're a stone. But there is a rock. So, so Sort of like Peter, you just got the you just got the littlest part of it. Or Peter, you know, you're you're the stone, but but they're so you're in the right family, but but the rock is the rock is there, and and you need to um, you know we're we're looking to this this rock. And if so, then the question will, well, then what is the rock? And uh, there are those who say, well, the rock is the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. So Jesus being the Christ is the rock. And Peter says it. And, and Jesus says, well, you're, you're saying it sort of like connects you as this pebble is or this stone is connected to this rock. That is the truth. And so it turns it into sort of a play on words. 
But the question that we're talking about is what happens when you take the symbology from a different story and you stick it into this story? Well, let's take an example. I mean, let's use that example. Let, let's, let's do that. So if we were to say, okay, I don't know whether Peter's the rock or Jesus is the rock or the rock is something else. What is the rock in another story? Well, there is another story about a rock. And it says there was a someone who, who hears these words that I say, Jesus says this, someone who hears these words and puts them into practice is like, or it doesn't put them into practice is like a man who builds his house on the sand and the winds come and the rains beat upon that house and it falls. Um, but someone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like someone who built their house on the rock. And they also had storms come. They also had rain fall. But their house stood firm because it was built on the rock. And... Then if you say, well, what is the rock? I think it's, it, it's pretty apparent that the rock isn't Jesus. Both people listened to Jesus. Both people built. But, but the difference is building on the rock is making a direct connection from what you hear to what you do. That is building on the rock. So, so the, you could say, well, then the one is building and the other is a rock, except that the guy built on the sand. So you can't quite say that. I think, I think the, proper symbo the proper symbology is that building... You know, conforming what you do to what you hear is the rock. That is, that is the rock. So let's extract that. And, and, and so, you know, the person who hears and doesn't do isn't that there isn't the rock. The rock comes through the uniting of what you hear and what you do. And it's like, well, then, then what if you heard the wrong thing and did it? And I think Jesus, I mean, sort of talks about being a stone of stumbling. Um, it's, the, it's the same idea as maybe this, I don't know. I, I, I think it's, it's possible to make an argument. It's not just hearing Jesus. It's it's the unity of what you think you ought to do and doing it that is a rock. And possibly it could be a stone of stumbling. Perhaps you could make a mistake. But if you continue in that way, you, you will have something that is deeply anchored. Because it is anchored in what you have done. Okay, that's, that's the story, I think, the symbology, the best perceptual 
um, symbology of that story is that the rock is having this connection. What you say and what you do coming together. So let's stick that into this other story. So we're going to extract that little strand of narrative DNA and insert it into the other story. And we say, Jesus comes to Peter and says, hey, you're a stone. So let's let's go with that, that the word is a different word. But... But the rock, there's a rock upon which I am going to build my church. And it is people who, like you, Peter, have the courage to state something so boldly. And then conform your life to it. That's the rock upon which I will build, I will build my church. See, I think it's significant that Jesus says, I will build my church. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Or upon the rock. And the problem that I have with either other interpretation is that somehow we get involved in the building when Jesus seems to be claiming that he's going to do the building. But it could possibly be an understanding that says, all right, Peter, you're this stone. You've, you've got one piece of it, but it's not big enough. It's not enough to say, I know the truth. There's a rock that is requires of you to... to Put those words into practice. You hear the words of mine and you put them into practice. That is the rock. And people who hear these words of mine and put them into practice are going to be... The, that is the foundation upon which I will build a worldwide empire that is coordinated in its activities, not through creating an organization that does a great job of stating the aims, but doesn't necessarily have any way to hold people accountable to doing it. Well, you could tell that I think actually this, this symbology pulled out of one story and stuck into another, I'm tending to believe that that's pretty significant. I don't know. I mean, I get this is the problem. I get excited about this. I started out saying possibly, possibly there's a mistake. I don't know what the what the extent of the symbology of an of a an item in a story is an item in a narrative. But I wanted to talk about another symbology. Um, it is, it is, a, it is a, the symbology of the moral, not the symbology, it is this, this, the moral balance as opposed to um, good and evil. Okay, so I think there are, there are spectrums, and, and a, a perfect example is chaos and order. 
And, and I think that as you have chaos and order, there is a boundary between the two that is the proper place. Too much chaos and, and it, will, it will consume you. Too much order and it will crush you. And so the optimized place, the moral place, is in the middle. Now, there's a lot of difference in our personalities, so it's not one spot in the middle, but the moral place is to find the proper balance. But I also believe, I don't believe everything is that. I, I actually believe there are 10, um, 10 index cases or index examples of places where there are things where the optimal amount is zero. Um, so that's what the Ten Commandments are. The Ten Commandments is a statement of the optimal amount of swearing testimony falsely against your brother is zero. What is swearing false testimony? I mean, bearing false witness saying, I saw him do that as a witness, saying, I am a witness to him doing it, and he didn't do it. Well, it's, it's not just lying. Um, it's not a bad, low-resolution version of, of being untruthful, um, but I think it's much more specific. It is, it's not simply being untruthful, it is betraying someone. And so I think there's an optimal place. An optimal, the optimal amount of betrayal in the society is none. Okay, the optimal amount of chaos and order is something that we have to figure out. And so I'm interested in the symbols of chaos and order. And uh, there is... There is the uh, children of Israel. There is the idea of the, the uh, camp being put outside the camp. And so the camp establishes order. And the uh, outside the camp is chaos. Well, the problem with that is that, well, then it's like, well, being that obviously then order is good and chaos is bad. And it's like, well, I don't know. And then I thought about that symbology. Now, it's different with the children of Israel. Okay, but, but look at a, a, an ancient symbology. You have the fire. And the people gathered around the fire and the darkness. Okay, that is a... An interesting symbol. So, you you would have you would have the the earliest forms of of the difference of of chaos and order being this gathered, but this gathering was centered around the fire. The thing that that I find really fascinating in that symbol, and I don't know whether it's a good application of it, but is that the fire itself is as dangerous as the chaos. 
And I started thinking about that. So, so it's basically where you are gathered around the fire is in that optimized place between order, which I would say is the fire, and chaos, which is the darkness. And, and it's interesting that a lot of the symbology of, of fire, well, fire seems to, to oftentimes be associated with tyranny. And, and I was thinking about that, not always, and so I, I don't know whether this is a good symbol, but, but here's what suggests itself to me, is that there is, there's the darkness, which is a place of great discovery, but also great danger. And so if you go outside the fire, you, you go out into, into the unknown, and maybe you carve off a piece of the unknown and bring it back to the people who can, can make use of it. That would be the picture of the hero who goes out from the, the walls of the city and goes out adventuring. It's one of the reasons why the fool has a potential of becoming the hero, right? Because only the fool would leave this comfortable place but he's enough of a fool to say maybe there's something more. And if it doesn't kill him, oftentimes he gets to be the hero because he brings back something of utility, the, the treasure of the dragon. But there's this other side, and that is what if you, what if you journeyed into the fire? Well, that journey into the fire is, is incredibly useful. If you need to cook roast, boil, stay warm. There's lots of utility in the fire when you get close to it, but when you step into it, it is incredibly destructive. And so, so what it creates is sort of a, a vertical dimension. That's the, that's the outside. You know, you, you can go off and wander and, and it could be really dangerous for you to do that. But then the fire as, you know, a, a potential but also a danger creates, I was thinking of it this way, because the fact that the fire rises has always been, been sort of significant. And it is that, that you have this vertical dimension. If you stepped into the fire you would either rise with the smoke or sink into the ashes. And it becomes this, this, like this, this vertical danger. It's a potential, but it's also a danger. I, I, I'm not, don't think that I'm drawing conclusions. I'm just fascinated. So, so it's like we have this optimal place that is close to the fire, but it's not in the fire. And it's, it's where we can journey into the unknown, but it's not in the unknown. And this, this optimal place, but each of the dangers of these two sorts of, 
Well, what it does is it makes chaos and hell both dangerous, but it, it, it sets them in two... The, the danger of chaos is not the danger of consumption. And the potential of the unknown is not the usefulness of the fire. The, 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 I, I don't know. I love this picture. And, and I think about how it, it kind of creates this cross of, of reaching out into the unknown and then reaching up to something good that is, that is there and reaching down. So then, if that were the case, what, is, what are your options? Well, your options are to live safely the proper distance, triangulating between the fire and the darkness. And that's what most people do. But what does the hero do? Well, the hero goes into the unknown to see what's there, see if there's anything useful. He dares the unknown. But what else does the hero do? This is amazing. The other thing the hero does, at least Jesus Christ, and I think he is, in a way, a unique hero because he goes to the fire. So he doesn't just explore the unknown. He says, I am going to explore, I am going to go to hell. I mean, that seems clearly part of, of the record of his story, although it's a, a part that people have had a lot of difficulty understanding it, including myself. But now it, it makes sense. That is what the hero did. The hero had two options of a journey to make. He went to the unknown. We understand that hero. But there is another hero that goes into the pain and destruction. So that only what the fire cannot touch can remain. It's Paul, I think, unless it's in Hebrews... No, I, I think it's Paul who talks about that. He says, so, so your, your faith, which is more precious than gold, will be purified by the fire. All the dross will be burned out so that only, only this pure faith will remain. So it's, it establishes sort of like two dimensions of heroism. And then you have Jesus who, who goes to hell and is hell, th that part of him which cannot be consumed by hell rises up. And so all that, all that the fire could take, the fire takes, but the fire can't take what is most important. And then he comes and having done that, then he sets 
before us, and 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 he he, I love how he says it. He says, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel." He lists the things, and then what does he say? And I will be with you always even unto the end of the age. He says, look, there is a journey of heroism that is into the thing you fear most. There's a journey to hell that you have to make. And then, having having risen up, there is an adventure to be had. So you have your choice, I think. You have your choice. You can find that ideal spot just the right distance from the fire and just the right distance from the from the unknown. Triangulate between the fire and the darkness. And you can live there. If you're lucky. But I think that in this, in this picture, there is a call, an incredible call to the heroic. To say, you can take upon yourself this, the, the failure of the universe, the sins of the world. You could take that, you could say, I am the person, the type of person who could rightfully suffer everything that this world could throw at me. I am that kind of person. So there is nothing that this world can do that, that could be out of place. It's, it's the, in a way, it's, it's this ideal of saying, there, I am not going to say the universe is flawed. We talked about this. I can't, man, I wish I could remember the names that I give these. But, but we talked about that. And so you say, look it, I am not going to claim that I know better than the universe. I am going to say there is not something wrong with the universe that I need to fix. I, I, used, I know I used the example of, of Jesus saying, the poor you will have with you always. You may do good to them whenever you wish. And what is he saying? He's saying, this isn't a problem for you to fix. But it does have an opportunity for you to go and have an adventure. There isn't something flawed in the universe. You are going to to not wish that the universe was other than it was. Not wish that Yahweh... The God of existence. You're not going to wish that existence was other than it is. But, having gone to the fire, now you can go out and the incredible adventure that is open to you. Because you're called to the unknown. Or not.
Uh, I, I mean, I can draw this picture, and then I guess I need to shake it a little bit, and, and, and you're free to criticize it. You're free to tell me your criticism of it. But when you, when you catch a glimpse of such a sweeping vista, it doesn't mean it's true. But it does make me suspect that the reality isn't less than that. The reality may be more glorious, as much more glorious as this imagining of mine is than anything I've thought before. The reality, I'm inclined to believe, is that much more glorious. He says, I has never beheld, nor has it come into the heart of man what God has prepared. So if I have just expanded, I didn't expand it too far. Maybe I expanded it in the wrong direction, but it is amazing to think that, that these old pictures, these old symbols were calling us for years and years to something that glorious. And then God said, you know what? I'm going to send my son. I am going to. This is a myth of, of heroic proportions. It's not enough just to have a story. I am going to embody this story. It, in Jesus Christ. Hey, I hope I didn't lose you. I don't mind if, you, I mean, if you've listened, obviously I didn't. You didn't, or maybe you're just really bored. But I had a great walk. I love to listen to the wind. And just a few steps before home, the, the, the moon found a crack, just enough for the faintest moon shadow. So I am home, and... Going to be up in the morning to drive school bus. So I will wish you all a uh, good night. And uh, encourage you on your trail. So, happy trails. We'll talk again. Bye.